So most of you know, if you haven't, my, um, I have two sons, grew up in a household of boys and a mother. And so I know what it's like to be hurt. Right? Anybody with boys, you just kind of like, you're going to get hurt, right? I've spent an inordinate amount of time in emergency rooms, in urgent cares, in hospitals. I've slept in the windowsill of Children's Hospital while my youngest son would get his collarbone screwed back together. And he decided not to breathe. Not, not to breathe like his life was in jeopardy, just like the oxygen level. And anybody that's ever sat in a hospital room and that oxygen level meter goes down, beep, 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 beep. And I remember Dave waking up from a sound sleep. Dad! Like, what? Why is that going off? I'm like, because you're not breathing, stupid. Breathe. <laughs> if you breathe, you can sleep, and I can sleep too. And so I've, I've, I've done a lot of stuff, right? You, and, and then working in a wood shop, I've seen some crazy stuff. Things that I wasn't aware people could do with nail guns, I've seen done. I had one guy walk in with his two fingers nailed together. I'm like, how do you do that? Like I can see maybe like a half of one where a nail will shoot weird through a piece of a, a knot and a piece of wood. But, but to do two is something epic, <laughs> right? And, and, and then my, my dad used to have a, an adage that said, ah, just rub a little dirt in it, boy. It'll get better. <laughs> a lot of love. And it worked in a sense, you know, because you're always, we're always scraped on something, hurt by something getting something. I played sports. And so I think I went one time and went, how many fingers have I broke or dislocated? And I went, oh, all of them. Um, and so you kind of come up with that, right? You, 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 you do that. And, th and then I was faced as a, as a grandpa with daughters. God, dear God, <laughs> don't let them get hurt, right? It's okay for boys to get bumped, bruised, but little girls know they're like, Sugar and spice and everything nice and little boys are made with spiders and black things and stuff like that. And, and, and so you, you sit there and as a parent and as a grandpa, you, you come to acknowledge that people are going to get hurt physically. Right. I've, and then this job being a pastor. Oh, the joys of that. <laughs> to sit in emergency rooms. I went into one emergency room on, on this side and went, hey, how you doing? Oh, we're okay. Can I pray for you? Yeah, I pray for you. And then I found out my phone rang. I'm like, oh, so-and-so's in the other side of the emergency room in the same hospital. I went, hey, look, I love you all. Sp spend a lot of time in, in, in pre-op and post-op and surgical units and, and ICUs and saw really awesome things and really tough things and hurts a part of life. Right. The physicality of, of the world that we live in kind of says that you're going to have a broken bone or you're going to have a, a cut that needs to be stitched. You're going to have surgeries that happen. And it's really not, you know, it's not a it's not a, a contingency on faith. And then, like all of you, 
I've had another side of hurt. That have nothing to do with casts or stitches. They don't, these hurts don't show up in, in x-rays or on some sort of medical test or a blood test. Or you don't get wheeled in under anesthesia to get fixed. If you're like me, sometimes you wish you could. Sometimes the depth of an emotional hurt or hurt that is in one heart or hurt that has been endured, it's like you yearn to be able to wheel them and go just, okay, just take this pill or go cast this body part or, 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 or go under the knife. And when you come out and after a point of recovery, you'll be better and you'll be healed. And yet anybody that's ever endured any sort of emotional pain, you know that there's no test for that. You know something's wrong or something's amiss, but you can't figure out why or how to fix it. You just know that you're hurt. And then on top of that, you add this organization in a broad sense, the church. And the church has been known to cause enormous damage. And this morning, we're going to talk about what do you do when you've been hurt by church? There's no hospital for that one. Right? There's no recovery center for that one. There's no anything that would get you on a path to health. And yet I know because I've been in them long enough, I've endured them. I've been been uh, on the receiving end of it, and I've hurt people because of it, because of my position. That the reality of this organization, and when I call organization the church, and we're going to talk about what the church is, but right now, the church in this innocuous kind of film that when you say church, it encompasses everything, right? It, it's, it was funny because I went on, it's like, okay, so how do you explain church to people? So I Googled it. What every postgraduate does, you Google things and you're like, hey, everything's in. So I, I went like, what's church? And then I hit images. And it was fascinating to me because the first image was giant mega church, box church, right? Bought a shopping center, 10, 12,000 people show up on a Sunday. Amazing lights, amazing music, amazing fog machine, amazing speaker, amazing social media presence. And we go, click, that's church. Go, okay. And then the opulence of others. If you ever travel to Europe, you see this over and over. You become numb to it, actually. They go, yeah, I've seen a church. <laughs> and, then, and then I was sad because I was like, <clears throat> the last time I was in Munich, I'm like, I'm going to go see whatever I was going to go see and, and, and found sausage. And I was like, oh, I better go to church since I just ate that. And, and, and so found a big church in a Munich square, walked in and went, oh, I've been in one of these before. Right? And if you've seen large and cathedrals and that kind of stuff, you know that, that it's just, it just part of, of that part of our history, especially in Europe. You see big box churches, you see opulent churches, you see cathedral size, you see small town churches. I used to laugh when, when I first came to this part of the, the country to pastor growing up on the West Coast, and we we're trying to figure out where the Foursquare Church was, and it was a running joke. If you find the single dirt road in the town, you turn left at that, 
you go to where the dirt road ends and you look to the left or to the right and there's going to be a white building. That's the Foursquare Church. <laughs> but we think about church, right? When we talk about church, it's like some of us grew up in tiny churches. And some of us grew up in, in, in country churches. And some of us grew up in more mainline liturgical churches. And some of us might have come to Christ in a big box mega church. And yet, the question still is, is like, what is this thing? Right? What is, what is church? Because when we talk about being hurt by something, then we have to decide what it is. We have to understand when we say that we've been hurt and we, we don't trust and when we refuse to engage and when we don't forgive, then, then there's something about that that makes it a little bit more than a building. But when we think about church, that's all we think about. We think about uh, an architectural something in the middle of somewhere. Big or small, clappered or, or made out of granite, it is. And so when we talk about church, it's more than a building. It has to be more than a building. This thing will never hurt you unless the ceiling falls in on you and then you could blame that on an earthquake or an act of God or weather where the walls come tumbling in and if you want to go the walls well and you could blame on the person that made it but this this building as far as I know and I've been in here for six years now I've never seen arms stretched out and I've been here early in the morning and I've been here late at night and I've never seen anything spooky about here I've never seen, you know, walk in when it's dark and somebody reached out and smacked me in the face. <laughs> People have wanted to, but that's not the church yet. <laughs> this, we're just talking about facilities. I've, I've came in here before Sunday morning and, and it's never came alive. It has always been just walls. And so if we talk about being hurt, and a lot of us have been, Right, I was thinking about, hey, let's just show the hands of everybody that's been hurt by church. Like, oh no, that'd be depressing. <laughs> I don't want to see that. Then I have to like hand out band-aids and everything else and and or, or like a little, I thought about little vials of dirt. Just rub dirt in it, it'll be better. And yet I know that that's not a true statement. And to even minimize the pain that is endured and incurred by an organization, you have to kind of go, okay, why? And to answer the why, you have to step back and go, what is it in the first place? Why do a group of people come together that could be camping, could be sleeping in, it's cloudy, right? Draw the cords like, oh man, I could slept in until like nine o'clock. But then my kids would have woke me, so I might as well go to church anyways. Um, but what is this thing? When you read Acts 2, when Luke starts the history of the church, when Luke starts the history of the church, he writes in 2.42, it says, and they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and fellowship to the breaking of bread and prayers. If you want to know what church is, that's a pretty good description of church. The first word that you see is they. Okay, this is going to be a shocker. They is not the walls. Those walls came together. We all had church. That ceiling tile all self-organized and it had church. 
Those amazing LED lights that make me look older than I am <laughs> all came together and lit, and it was church. No, it's just they. Everybody in this room is the they. They. So if you want to know what church is, this is something that I'll have you do. Everybody that's represented by the word they, raise your hand. And if you don't know if you're supposed to raise your hand, it's a good indicator that the teacher's going, yeah, raise your hand, it's you. Right? They. So when I get upset and I try to discover what church is, then I have to start by looking around and going, oh, you're one of those people. <laughs> you're the church. And that kind of takes the fun out of the next few minutes of conversation. Because I'm better off blaming Frank for all my pain and suffering or the walls or the ceiling than to turn around and go, oh, we're all part of this thing. Right? So they is the, the, the word that, that comes in from ecclesia. Right, if you want two Greek words that define church, one is koinonia, fellowship. Ecclesia is, is the, the church, and that term ecclesia is a group of people, gathering of citizens called out from their homes into some public space, an assembly. The ecclesia, the church of Jesus Christ. So every time you open up the Bible and it says the word church, Ecclesia is a gathering of people. A gathering of people does not consist of a really cool altar that is all gold-leafed. A gathering of people isn't frescoes painted by Michelangelo. A gathering of people is not a shopping center with First Church of Hope of God in Christ Jesus, our Lord and Savior, Holy Spirit. The church is a gathering of people brought out from their homes to some public space to have fellowship, koin and koinonia. I'm going to flunk my Greek class just like old Bible college times. That term fellowship is defined as a group of people in close association with one another who share and participate together. The church is sharing lives and being in community. The church is a group of people called out from their homes, sharing lives, being in community. Now here, here's like a fun one. You can't do church alone. It, the, the Christian faith and the Christian tradition, though there is enormous amount of literature out there directed at angry white guys, and yeah, I can say that, because, right? The, the, the demographics prove it out. The whole done movement. I'm done with church. I'm done with organized religion. I'm done with church. Me and Jesus. It's really tough to be a part of a church and be isolated from one another. It's, it's really hard to have an assembly of people brought out from their homes while 95% of the churches or the Christians say, I'm done with it. Right? So, so when we talk about church, we talk about us. And if you don't want to say us, just put those guys. And then you'll wake up one day and like, oh man, I'm one of them. Right? You're those guys that are brought together from houses, from different 
backgrounds, from different ethnicities, from different upbringings, from different social standings, from different everything, brought together to do what? To look at teaching, to worship, to pray together, and to break bread. Ephesians says in chapter 2, verses 19 and 22, Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people and also members of His household, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus Himself as chief cornerstone. In Him, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. In Him, you two are being built Being built, being built. Everyone say being built. Being built built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by His Spirit. If you're going to pull apart Ephesians and you're circling Ephesians, I would circle the word being built because being built explains why church people get hurt. Because God's not done yet. And that's just horrible for those of us that don't like imperfection in those people. Like I'm, I have incredible grace for my own imperfections and for my own fallacies and for my own shortcomings. I just might not have that much grace for you. I know. See? <laughs> Can we all just stretch our hands towards those people? <laughs> Paul writes to the church at Ephesus, you guys like are, are, are fellow citizens with God's people who are being built on the foundations of the apostles and prophets. That you're being built. You want the number one reason why people get hurt in church is because it's filled with broken people being built up. Right? Yes, there's some craziness out there. There's some craziness out there. I came across a, a post and I was like, no way. I mean, there's some crazy stuff on, on the internet, but this, is, this has got to be like fake news. Preachers and their tennies, or preachers and their shoes, preachershoes.com. There's actually a website <laughs> that takes pictures of the kicks that preachers use. Not like these $40 shoes. They're like, like collector edition Nike shoes that I'm waiting for you to buy me. Because... But don't buy, well, actually you can buy them and I'll probably sell them on eBay for get something that's useful. Um, but there's some craziness out there, right, in church. But just like there's craziness with everything. There's, there's, there's craziness in every sort of gathering where more than one person comes together. There's always the the thing that happens when people get together that they somehow strengthen their brokenness. Right? So the church, number one, the church of Jesus Christ, the church, those guys are made up of broken people. Not you guys. You guys are perfect. You're pastoring that so much, but you guys are, are perfect. It says in Philippians, if there's any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being in the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and one mind. Now we 
quote Paul's writing to the church of Philippi as the benchmark for faith. Oh, all you people. But what I want to read this next verse is, picture yourself as the parent. How many parents have ever said, you have got to be nice to your brother or sister? No, you cannot light him on fire. No, you can't lock him out of the house. Yes, you have to share. See, all that stuff. Yes, no, you can't blow apart the beanbag. You can't do that. That is bad. Those kids are bad. Not your kids. <laughs> but verse 3, all right, do nothing out of selfish ambition or conceit. What does that mean? More than likely that the people were selfish and conceited. But in humility, count others more significant than yourselves. What does that mean? Can you just take your eye off yourself for just a moment? Can you think of somebody else? Let each of you look out not only for his own interest, but also for the interest of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. Peter writes, you like living stones are being built up. Right? The, the verse in Ephesians, you're being built together. This is another section of Scripture where Paul is addressing the church. It's like, look, you guys can be selfless. You can be not so conceited. You can be all these amazing things because Christ is in you. But when you look at that from a parent or an overseer or someone that's shepherding a group of people, you see the antithesis of the verse. If Paul's writing to the church at Philippi, hey, make my joy complete. Can you be a little better than what I see you as? Can you not be so selfish? Can you have a little less sin manifesting yourself on Wednesdays? Can you just relax a little bit and love people more than you love yourself? Can you be all those people? People are broken. Can I get an amen? amen. That means if I sat in this empty seat, it would make room for my brokenness. And if I sat in the front row where none of you guys will ever sit next to me except Jason and my wife, <laughs> it makes room for my brokenness. And the second and the third and the fourth and the fifth and the sixth and the left and the right make room for our brokenness. But because that there's brokenness in here, we have been subjected to things that aren't fair. Not necessarily intentional, but aren't fair. So we not only get, get hurt Church hurts us not just because we're filled with broken people, but we at times get hurt by a church who loses its focus. When an organization or a group of people gather together and lose their focus organizationally, it goes awry. Right? I mean, business-wise, if you ever want to build a business and you can't decide on what your business is going to be, you just decided to be a business owner, I can like pretty much guarantee you, you can cash this check, it's going to fail. Why? Because you have no reason to do it, right? You're scattered all over the place. Anybody that's ever been an entrepreneur has a dream of a business and they can't figure out what they want to do, they just like the idea of it, just don't. Why? Because everybody associated with you is going to have to endure you going through a bankruptcy. 
Don't just, just skip it. The church, in a very real sense, is, is similar to an organization in that when it loses what it is about, it becomes about all these gloriously insignificant things that suck the life, the joy, the energy, and the purpose behind why we gather together. When we read 1 Corinthians 1, it's, it's an interesting book because Paul is having to deal with a bunch of broken people doing a bunch of stupid things. It's just like one chapter after another, after another, after another of, of, of Paul going, my God, I got to talk to you about this too. And one of the first things he talks to his, the church of Corinth about is, is, hey, I know some of you say you follow Paul and some of you follow Apollos and some of you are this and some of you are that. And, and, and the church of Corinth had a list of things that they had to deal with. Why? Because they had forgotten what had brought them together in the first place. Whenever we get our eyes off of Jesus, we lose our missional value. And when we lose our missional value, broken people have a tendency to take the car from dad and go in a hundred different directions. And like, where'd the kids go? Oh, they just borrowed the car. And then you sit by the phone and you wait (laughs) for the cops to call or the tow truck. Or the son or the daughter. Like, hey, where are you at? I don't really know. Yeah. Can you come get me? When the church loses focus. And some of the things that we lose focus on are important things. We talked about that last week. You lose focus by what? By forgetting about the one who called you in the first place. You lose focus when you put pastors on pedestals. Because when you put people like me on pedestals, we're going to let you down. We're going to wake up one day and not want to do this job. Since it's just us, I'll tell you a little secret about pastors. We're not always excited about this job. Whoa. I know that shocks you, huh? It's like, I thought you were always happy. That's my wife. That's not me. (laughs) You see, the only difference between me and you is that one, I think one theologian put it this way. If you can do anything other than pastor, do it. And if you can't, then pastor. There's a lot of truth in that statement. And the only way you understand that truth is to be in these shoes. But if you put people like us up on a pedestal, if you follow us like rock stars, if you, if you post, oh my God, the latest, and I'll tell you two of the guys I listen to, oh my gosh, you have to listen to Fertek. Oh, he completes me. <laughs> or T.D. Jakes. Right? Or any of the other billion or so people that have a huge following on social media. When you put us on a pedestal, you supplant Christ as the head of his church. And can we, as a, as a body of believers who gather together from our homes to come together to worship him, agree once and for all, there's nothing unique about me except the fact that I've been called by God to pastor. 
When we follow a person and not Christ, we, we, we are led astray. Because leaders are like everybody else, right? We're broken people. Let me say that one more time. Leaders are broken people. And so when broken people are put up here or broken people are never questioned or broken people are never asked what they're asking of you, then you set yourself up to lose focus on what God has brought us all together. Now I lead this place, but I am not the emperor of this place. And, and so there's that. And if when we focus more on the building, then on people, we lose focus. Oh, if we just had better lights, softer lights, wonderful lights. And, and Abe's still holding out for the fog machine. It's not a fog machine anymore. It's Hayes machine. I found that out too. Right, when we focus on this, and we do, we, we focus on this, Right, because we have to pick up and we have to vacuum, we have to clean and we have to be good stewards of what we have. But when a church becomes about a building and not about the people or the community that it serves, then we lose focus. And when we lose focus, we get hurt. When we become inward focused, oh, and this is a sticky one, we just need to heal and to grow. Not in this country. Actually, in this country, we need to go and do. And then we can come back and heal and celebrate. But when we become inward focused, when we worry more about what Sister Sue or Brother Larry, not Larry. Is there a James in the house? Okay, Brother James. And when we worry more about them, and and, and I'll cue you in again uh, as far as being a pastor. Pastors are consumed, believe it or not, like, oh my God, I hope I don't offend them. But when you preach and you stand up in front of, when you pray or when you greet and stand up in front of a group of people fearing for what you feel like God has laid on your heart, then you've got issues and you've lost your focus. And when you lose your focus, you compromise the word that God has given, the word that God has asked, and you... And you you hurt unintentionally. So how do we heal? I, I feel like with every head bowed and eyes closed, how many people have been hurt on a church on a Sunday? I will just like go and say 99% of you. The reason Frank hasn't got hurt because he sleeps through most of what I say. <laughs> I gotta give you grief. I love you, man. <laughs> So we've all been hurt. The vast majority of us have been. Right? You, we've, we've all kind of went through some stuff. And yet, one of, the reason, one of the ways we heal from hurt is we separate brokenness from God. We separate what is the reality of brokenness in the group of people that we, we call home, the group of people that we make up the church that we belong to. We separate what they do from what God is and what God does. That makes sense? You have to give grace to people around you. But it is intellectually dishonest to go, well, that must be God. Why? Because Dave said something stupid on Sunday or Monday or Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday. Right? God 
is representative of us, but he is not defined nor confined by our humanity. We cannot link what we have been through that somehow that, that is a descriptor of God. History tells us one of the biggest mistakes we make is that. Well, the pastor said something, that means God hates me. Or the children's director didn't call me and find out if I was still sick. That means God doesn't care about me. Or the worship leader didn't allow me to play harmonica. <laughs> though I've never played harmonica. <laughs> Nor did they allow me to sing. Which in my case would be actually a sign that God loves you. You, you can't confuse, right, God with people. One is a creator, one is a created. One lives in sinful humanity, one is perfect and all-knowing. Deuteronomy says that he is the rock, his works are perfect. Let me just stop there. His works are perfect. That self-selects the whole lot of us out of that verse. So when we compare God to the people that we sit next to or the people that somehow don't call us at the right time or ask the right questions or return our texts or whatever, that somehow that's a testimony of God's seemingly uncaring attitude towards us, then we all have to return to Scripture. And when we return to Scripture, we see the difference in the both. Right? He is the rock, his works are perfect, and all his ways are just. The faithful God who does no wrong, does no wrong, upright and just is He. That ain't us, people. Sorry. I know, again, if that kind of blows up your self-image, come talk to me. We'll build it back up right. <laughs> right? But there's nobody here that is perfect. And so when we attribute imperfections to perfections, we ourselves are in error. Right? So if we're hurt, we have to not associate what we went through with God. We also have to be able to forgive. Now, how do you forgive walls? Well, that's tough, man. Stupid plaster. Right? Bad, evil, uncaring cinder block. Makes no sense. But when we talk about being hurt by the church, that's kind of what we do. Can't believe that wall jumped out and kicked me. <laughs> I can't believe it didn't return my call. I did, can't believe that it is so mean to me. That's just not an accurate statement. Why? Because when we're hurt, we're hurt by other people. We're hurt by men and women of God who are trying but are fallible. We are hurt by men and women of God who sometimes are tired. Sometimes they went through hell and you saw them just on the other side of it. Sometimes they walk past you and you say like, oh my God, they can't see me. Well, they can't see you because they just found out someone that they loved died or a relationship that they counted on failed, or a job that they hoped for was taken away. You see, we put on everybody 
the expectations that if they were put on us, we would say, hey, I'm going to let you down. Sorry. So if the expectations that I place on you can't be upheld, then I don't have the right to do that. And if I am going, man, you should be this, and I can't live under that burden, then somewhere along the line, I have to wake up and go, the very thing that I am most disappointed in is myself. Because I can't match the expectations that I've laid on a group of people who have left their house and came together to break bread and to fellowship. And let me tell you a little bit about unforgiveness. Unforgiveness, if there was a disease that humanity needs to be cured of, that kills more people than any other physical disease there is, I believe it's unforgiveness. If you've ever met a person that never seems happy, like they would hit the lotto and it's like, oh, there's only 7 million. How am I going to do that? <laughs> Got a cut back. Right? Bitterness is a, is a result, is a symptomatic behavior of unforgiveness. Unforgiveness doesn't allow me to have any sort of grace. You know, the reason why I can pick on Frank isn't because, well, it is because he sits right there and he begs for it, but it's also because I know Frank understands and I know Frank doesn't take things personal and I know Frank understands that I just joke sometimes (laughs) and other times, yeah, (laughs) he cries. And Jan says, suck it up, buttercup. But, <laughs> but unforgiveness leads to bitterness. Bitterness leads to death. Maybe not physical deaths, but spiritual death. And unforgiveness, my friends, you stop hearing God. Unforgiveness doesn't allow me to see anybody in, in, in this world other than than the disappointments that reinforce a worldview birthed out of bitterness. And finally, if you want to be healed by the hurt that you have been inflicted on, and, and, and please, in the midst of the jokes and in inappropriate behavior, hear what I have not done. I have not minimized the reality of the pain. I've not not trivialized the, what you endured. I'm not even calling into question what you think you went through. Why? Because I know anybody that has sat foot in a church for any length of time has been hurt. One blogger put it this way, one guarantee of committing to any local church is that sooner or later it will hurt. One guarantee of committing to any local church is that sooner or later, it's going to hurt. But what you can do is you can use what you went through and you can bring healing to someone going through it. The, the, the idea that you have to find perfection before you can become involved is just a fallacy birthed in If it was just me over a cup of coffee, I'd probably say laziness, but that would be wrong and and kind of harsh. 
Paul writes, it says, Blessed be the God of our Father, of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in our inflictions, so that when, so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction. Take your hurt. Make it redeemable. Make the thing that you were wronged uh, a point of conversation to those thinking about walking away from faith because of the brokenness that expressed itself in a harmful way. And really all church hurt is that. It is humanity's brokenness expressed in a dysfunctional way. It could happen in a pastor that's a control freak and like, I don't care what God has called you to do. It's all about me. And until I can get 7 million followers and afford $5,000 sneakers, I don't want to talk to any of you. But if we take that dysfunction, we allow ourselves to not embrace it, but accept it for what it is, broken humanity expressing himself on us not, has nothing to do with God, just broken humanity. And we say, well, that hurts, that's painful. But that's not the church, right? Because the church is the bride of Christ. The church in its most beautiful form is amazing. And I would go so far as there's never been an organization that has been created by humanity that has done more good for society than the church. Oh, and I could, we could debate history, but history aside and, and the little blips and the big blips of where we lost focus, the church has done amazing things in education, in healthcare, in the poor, in the immigrant issue, in all sorts of depressed and ignore people groups. Why? Because the people of God follow the word of God, which is commanding us to love. The church is amazing. And the local church is the hope for humanity. So don't allow hurt to rob you of becoming something that you by yourself could never participate in. Allow yourself to find a local church. Risk it. Don't come once every eight months and go, man, I'm just not connected. Connect. Realize that the group of people, those guys, those guys being you, not you, this area, those guys are going to hurt. Why? Because they're humanity. They're flawed humanity trying to figure out what God has for them. And when they meet these guys, you're broke too. Flawed humanity trying to figure out what God has for them. And then you all get together and invite these guys to the party. Oh my God. Because these guys are really broke. And really trying to figure out what God has for them. But together... By the grace of God, by His mercy, you're a force to be reckoned with. You're a force to be reckoned with. Don't allow humanity to rob you of participating 
and the greatest organization God ordained that the world has ever seen. That you all like living stones are being built up. So use the hurt that you have and comfort those who have been afflicted with the same thing you went through. But because you've allowed God to heal you, you've allowed the Holy Spirit to cleanse you of bitterness and malice. You don't feel the need to get even. You acknowledge it what it is. It's flawed humanity. Meeting flawed humanity. Trying to figure out life. As a pastor who's been doing this a long time, let me be the first to apologize for every leader that has said the wrong thing at the wrong time. That has never answered the phone, or never, not never, didn't answer the phone quick enough, or didn't respond to a tweet fast enough, or didn't do something. Myriad of things that we don't do at the wrong time. I'm sorry. I'm sorry that you've confused my humanity with God. I'm sorry that we're we're so far from perfect I can't even see it. And for every churchgoer that sat in the back and pretended I didn't really want to talk to anybody because I really didn't want to talk to anybody, I'm sorry for every parishioner that's ever hurt you because I was one of them too. I was too in a rush to get out, to get home, to not want to talk to anybody that I walked past you. I didn't hug you. I didn't say hi to you. I just left. Sorry for the pain that you've been in, in the name of God and religion. Sorry for the churches that have hurt you. That's not God, people. Never has been, never will be. You've come together in an assembly of believers to look at His Word, to sing His praises, to pray for one another, to break bread, to have fellowship, the church. Why don't we stand?